If it goes right, it's a slice. If it goes left, it's a hook. If it goes straight, it's a miracle. This is Out of Bounds. If it's happening in the world of golf, we're talking about it. Coverage, debate, discussion, pro golf and local golf. Let's do it. This is Out of Bounds. And here are your hosts, Nate Sharman and Josh Derso. All right, welcome to the Sunday night edition of Out of Bounds. Josh Derso and Nate Sharman here breaking it all down, reacting to this huge week in professional golf. Uh, we start with the madman Keegan Bradley getting a win. Nate, uh, what a weekend here at the Travelers. Egan Bradley, the winner of the Travelers Championship, his second win of the season. He won back at the Zozo towards the beginning of the season. Won by three shots, set the scoring record at the Travelers at TPC River Highlands at 23 under par. Looking at the rest of the leaderboard here in the top five, Zach Blair, Brian Harmon tied for second. Scotty Scheffler, Patrick Cantlay, and Chez Reeve tie for fourth. We'll talk a little bit more about Scotty as we get along here. But Keegan Bradley back in the winner's circle. Uh, an interesting day from Keegan, right? Had that hot start raced out. He had a, like, a, I think it was a six shot lead at one point, uh, beginning that back nine at some point. Had some bogeys coming in, still ended up winning by three, but it, it looked like he could possibly limp in, but he righted the ship towards the end and, and got the pars in and got for the victory. But a couple late bogeys from Keegan was a little bit surprising to me. Yeah, it definitely was. Um, to me, you know, I watched, he, I think it was, he went bogey, bogey, par, bogey par and it was it was looking a little rough he pulled that tee shot on 18 a mile left got really lucky i think with where the gallery had basically walked and you know kind of mushed down a little bit of that rough that probably could have been a bit worse he had like 130 in little gap wedge kept it on the left side um held it together but um one of those situations where if there were a few more holes i, I wonder if he would have held on but there wasn't 72 is enough yeah, you see a guy like Keegan Bradley is one of the good guys on tour, right? A uh, fan favorite for sure. People love the guy, uh, a Northeast guy as well. Too. So, yeah, he's very well loved. Yeah, in Connecticut, right? And, and uh, not that far away from home. I think he's from the New England area. Um, so just a, a good win for Keegan. Uh, definitely a little bit unorthodox, right? With the way he approaches the golfing game. A little bit different than he was, say, five years ago, but still a little bit methodical at times. Um and the way he approaches golf and his pre-shot routine as well. But still, good to see him get the victory. But Josh, this begs the question, right? We were talking about how this was a pretty easy golf course this week. 23 under par, won it. The scoring record was made by Keegan Bradley. Yep. Do you think the golf course played too easy this week? No, we needed it. We needed this, for sure. Yeah, I would agree. Um, you know what? Like, I, I get it. You know, when we're coming out of majors and we're coming out of these high profile events, people, you know, like to see these guys suffer. They like to see bogeys. Um, but at the same time, people love to see birdies. Uh, people like to see scoring coming down the stretch. What were we what were we just talking? We were just talking about Keegan limping, limping in, uh, you know, with a few crucial bogeys coming down the stretch. It, bogeys aren't as exciting as birdies, period. Uh, and I think it, I think it makes sense. Even if it is an elevated event, um, I still think it's okay to have some of these sprinkled in. I, I don't want to see it every week. And I don't know how you feel about that. Like once in a while, or do you want to see none of these at all? No, definitely. I'm definitely fine with it. Uh, like you said, Josh, I have the same argument. They have struggled the last what month and a half. It feels like PJ championship at Oak Hill 
Then you had the U.S. Open, and in between there, you had the Memorial at uh, Jack's Place, which play, all three of those courses played hard. U.S. Open broke scoring records the first day, but Friday, Saturday, Sunday was very challenging at the U.S. Open. It kind of felt yeah. more like a U.S. Open, right? And how much fun is it to watch these guys with a wedge in their hands in the middle of the fairway? It's, oh, yeah. it's, in, it's incredible because they hit it to within 15 feet every time. And I just think that's cool because as watching pro golf as an amateur, right? You think about when you have that your wedge in your hand, right? You may, you may be a little closer than the, the, these guys are, but you're when you're in that hundred yards and, and you hit a good shot to 15 feet. And I, speaking for myself, I'm very happy by that. And just being able to watch these guys routinely do that is something that's really cool. And it really goes to show how good these guys are, because if you get a wedge in your hand with a good angle from maybe the middle of the fairway, I would be a betting man if I, if not be a betting man, if they, if we're going to hit it outside 15 feet. Right. So just a, yeah. a really good change up to have that. Um, some people are, some people are upset about it. I don't really see why they just want to see him struggle week in and week out, but going back to your, your point and Rory said it as well too, in an interview, birdies are more fun than bogeys. That's really the end of the day to it. So uh, good to see these guys struggle a little bit. And, um, but I don't, or could see these guys play well a little bit. I'm sure they'll go back to some more median scoring, maybe not easy or hard, but kind of in the middle when they go overseas here in the next few weeks. Yeah. And you know, let's not forget to, we're finally going to get a break here with a non-elevated event next week, but this has really been a gauntlet for these guys for like the last, I'll say really you you go back like a month, month and a half. If anything, if there's any discussion to be had long-term, um, and we're going to talk about here in a minute, having an elevated event right after a major. But I think there are some scheduling issues that need to be yeah. resolved overall because the last month and a half for these guys has been an absolute gauntlet. And in a lot of ways, it feels like the meat of the schedule is already behind us. Right. In the PGA Tour season. And it's not at all. Like we've still got the playoffs in front of us. We've still got another major. Um, there's just, you know, so easy golf, like an easy week like this, if you want to call it an easy week because they, they, you know, threw up a lot of birdies fine. Like that to me, that's okay because it, it shakes things up a little bit. It gives people watching something a little different. Um, I just think it's good overall. Um, but to that end, I'm curious, what are your thoughts on having an elevated event right after a major championship? This is the second time this season we've seen it. Yeah, exactly. Second time we saw it, we saw it after the Masters, right, where they played RBC Heritage at Harbortown. And that that golf, that tournament was amazing. They had a playoff between Matt Fitzpatrick and Jordan Spieth where Fitzpatrick came out on top. Um, I want to go back to Rom's comments a little bit about how he wouldn't have played this week if he didn't have to, right? He's already missed an elevated event this season, so but they have to play in every one of them except for one during the course of the season. And I just goes back to me. I, 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 the pod, this is the podcast where we agree on a lot of stuff, Josh. So I think scheduling errors are a, a little bit weird in that one. They played the U.S. Open over in L.A. And now they're playing in Connecticut, a cross-country flight for these guys after they played the U.S. Open, which is by far, in my opinion, the most straining mental game of the four majors, right? These, these guys are, are suffering to make pars, right? And try to, and try to mentally outlast their opponents as well as playing the game. So I think having to fly five, six hours to go play in a golf tournament after playing that U.S. Open, you know, these guys are getting on a plane on Monday. They're playing a practice round by Tuesday and trying to get involved. So I, I think that scheduling errors were a little bit on this one. I don't really know how you'd fix it because these are every single year. These tournaments are kind of set in stone of when they're going to be and where they're going to be. And the U.S. Open is just going to move everywhere all, all across the country, right? Um, in terms of where it is every single year. So uh, one year is worse than others. You know, if they were to play it at Oak Hill, would have been a short plane ride over to Connecticut. So 
I think it's interesting and something that the PGA Tour should think about um, next time they have an elevated event after a major championship. Yeah, I mean, while all these, uh, you know, PGA PGA Tour detractors are are saying that there's collusion and everything else, um, this would be an area that we would love to see some collusion between all the bodies that are involved yeah. in golf. Work on, we know what these schedules, I mean, we know what the, the major rotas are for years in advance. You might as well try and create a little bit of... Um, a little more ease in the travel. If you're going to have elevated events right after as a rule, you know, I think we're probably going to get to a point where it's no, we don't have elevated events immediately after majors. And I don't know if that would put some venues in jeopardy. I don't know if that would mean some sponsors like yeah. major event sponsors may want different. I, I'm not sure what that would do to different things, but I think we're going to get there because I'm not sure you're going to, you know, John Rahm has said what he said. Uh, you saw Rory do what he's had to do earlier this year, prioritize his mental health and take some time off and take the, the, the financial hit that came with it. Um, I just think, you know, as this thing gets worked out, uh, the PGA tour schedule, I would assume, especially having to incorporate perhaps some team events once this whole live PGA merger is done. Um, and of course, trying to incorporate more of the DP world tour as they also get integrated into this whole new conglomerate. I would assume that these things would be thought out a little better um, right. and perhaps spread out a little better. It wouldn't be the worst thing in the world in my mind to have a, a non-elevated buffer event in between uh, majors and elevated events. Yeah, it's just it's just also up in the air, right? This is the first year we've done elevated events. Next year, they're even going to change them a little bit more, not necessarily with the schedule, but with kind of no-cut events. And then you have the PIF jumping into the PGA Tour, right? With the Saudis kind of backing a little bit of the PGA Tour. So everything is just so crazy. We don't know what's going to happen next year at all. We barely even know what's going to happen in the, the end of this calendar year, right? So right. Um, we'll, we'll see what happens there. But it will be interesting to see if if they find a way to get more of a buffer, like you said, because these live guys like Cameron Smith, Dustin Johnson, they've all said they want to play less golf. So I'm sure that whole play less golf will be a little bit intricated into that PGA Tour kind of thought, especially after major championships. Yeah, you would assume so. But then at the same time, you you almost wonder um, with all of these different ideas and all of these different uh series we'll call them because we've also got the the tiger rory series yeah, like we've PGL, got yeah. all these we've got all these different um streams of golf getting dumped into the same pot i don't really know how less golf is going to be plausible with all these different things getting getting piled into it i think more money is absolutely going to be a thing but less golf i mean i it, yeah. to me it doesn't even seem possible maybe not less golf but more strategic more strategic on where they play the golf how about that well, yeah, and I'll just say this. I know we didn't talk about it, but like, I think this is probably the the biggest strain schedule-wise that has been created over the last few years is moving the PGA Championship from August to May. Mm. It creates this absolute rush where from the first week of April, basically, these guys don't have a, a layoff until late July before the playoffs start. And even then it's kind of artificial because the guys that are in it are getting ready for the playoffs. I, the best case scenario in my mind, after all this merger stuff is done and everything like that would be to get the season spread out again. So it's longer. Stop trying to run away from football. Stop trying to avoid the NFL because we know that's really what 
you know, that's why the playoffs are in August. That's why the PGA championship was moved to May. Um, figure out a way to get this thing spread out more so these guys can be prepared and be ready and be on top of their game because, you know, John Rahm has not looked the same the last couple, three weeks. And I would assume, or his last couple, three starts, and I would assume just speculation here that there's some fatigue combined with the everything that's going on with the PGA tour yeah, um, fatigue with just having to play these events, this schedule, which is, you know, chaotic at best. Um, we got to talk about the crowd that was over at TPC River Highlands. Um, it was just, we've talked a lot about the crowd at LACC last week yeah. during the U S open and how we thought it lacked and how pretty much everyone thought it lacked as more <laughs> so of a corporate open without a lot of general admission tickets being sold in that event. Josh, you had a chance to watch a lot of the trailers as I, as so as I did. Uh, tell me your, tell me what your thoughts were on the crowd versus the crowd at LACC. I mean, this is to me, this didn't look, this looked like every other normal event. As far as the crowd goes coming off of last week, it looked like a major crowd because of last week. If we didn't have LACC last week, we wouldn't even be having a conversation about the crowd at the Travelers Championship because that's pretty much the last thing anyone would be talking about with regard right. to the Travelers Championship. Sure, um, but there there is a community aspect that they have there at TBC River Highlands where the fans do show out and they are loud and proud. There is, but like to me, it was as good as any of the other elevated events. Like yeah. it was just good. The thing is, is like the crowd element to me was great. If I'm if you're going to rate it out of 10, what would you rate it? I would give it like an 8.5. Yeah, that's I've seen that seems fair. And it would be to me exactly the same as the LACC a negative 1. Right? Like it's it's literally because we're coming off of like what was a a negative 1 or 0 crowd performance at LACC to to this. So this right. just felt like a, you know otherworldly. I don't know. Um Scotty Scheffler just goes and finishes top five again. Guys just doing it over and over and over again. Um, it's been two months since Scotty Scheffler has finished outside the top five. It's been 245 days or 18 events since he finished outside the top 12. I mean, we can, you know, I, I picked him this past week and a couple clowns on TikTok decided to say, Oh, really going out on a limb picking Scotty Scheffler. Scotty Scheffler is the most consistent freaking golfer the PGA Tour has seen in the last, I don't know, eight years. Easy. Sure. Not yeah, even close. I mean, it's not even close. Like Just incredible. I mean, I, I you picked him, I bet him. But I, I felt like it was yeah. a good bet. He plays one poor round on Friday. She's even part round of 70. He's essentially out of the tournament in, in a wedge contest like that, right? But then follows up with a 63 and then a 65 today. So to get himself inside the top five. That stat, Josh, is crazy. 18 events inside the top 12. 18. It's, I mean, he's just, he's on an incredible run. And the context for us of the Wednesday show is typically betting. And I'm sorry, but if you're gambling real, real dollars, real money, and you're, this is the way I look at it. If I'm going to sit here and tell someone to put actual money on a player, it's going to be Scheffler almost every week before anybody hits a golf shot. Until I see somebody hit a golf shot on Thursday, I'm making sure my money is on Scotty Scheffler because he is the only uh, surefire commodity right now on the PGA Tour. 
who can go out and win. Yes, he hasn't he hasn't won a lot, but his he is there every single week. And unlike a Patrick Cantley, who's the in my mind the closest comparable player who finishes around the top five, top ten, week in and week out, he has a winning pedigree. Patrick Cantley right. does not have a winning pedigree, in my opinion. There's a hot take for the week. Well, I wish I would have heard your betting advice before I I threw twenty dollars on Ches Reby this morning. How about that? Well, I mean, and this morning that that was a good that was a good bet this morning. It felt like a good bet. I got three to one odds on Ches Reby down one when he's won this event before uh, against Keegan Bradley back in twenty nineteen. So, but Ches didn't really have it going today. I think he finished at even par, but he had a couple bogeys in the front nine and a, and a couple birdie opportunities that went by the wayside. So, not a great day for Ches, but Keegan Bradley comes out with a victory. Yeah. I mean, it is what it is. Uh, over on the uh, ladies' side, KPMG Women's PGA Championship. Uh, what do you got for us there? Walk us through what uh, happened. Now, that was exciting. Uh, unlike the PGA Tour this week, which was sort of anticlimactic, right, with Keegan Bradley winning by three, Ruing Yin wins her first major championship with a birdie on 18. Josh, she's got a wedge in her hand from like 100 yards, and she hits it to about, I'd say about 12 feet uphill and knocks it in with confidence, too, to win her first career major championship at the age 20 years old. Um, more about that, that pack leaderboard, but besides that, I just want to look at some of these young stars in the LPGA because we, we talked a little bit about it on Sunday, but I want to do a little bit more dive. And I, and I picked four four girls on that tour to kind of talk through and how how important they are to this tour at, at the, in their stages of their career. So starting with Ruying Ching, Ruying Yin, excuse me, the Chinese 20-year-old who won the major today, that's her second LBGA Tour victory. Her, her first came not too long ago. I believe it was in April when she won. And Josh, she, she's from China, and she made her debut when she was 19 on the Chinese professional golf tour, won her first three events. So this, this girl is a proven winner, now a major champion, and Yin will, will be here and on this LBGA Tour for, for uh, times to stay. And another golfer we talk a lot about on this podcast is Rose Zhang the American 20-year-old who, who was pretty fresh on tour, right? We saw her go pro not more than a couple months ago. Wins her first start on tour, picks up a top 10 in the major today as she played pretty impressive round of 67 today. Had a chance towards the end of the round, but a, a little bit of faltering towards the end kind of brought her out there. But still a top 10 finish for Rose, and um, she's going to be definitely around. Uh, talking more about some of these young players, Yuka Sasso, the 22-year-old from, from Japan, she had a second place finish today, had a chance to kind of maybe possibly get to eight under, but still had a great up and down from the bunker on 18 to get to uh, that seven under number one back. She's a major champion. She won the U.S. Women's U.S. Open back in 2021 and uh, finally finishing up Minji Lee. And uh, let me know if you know, think that name sounds a little bit familiar. Josh has hmm. uh, she's where that was from Min Woo Lee, who is a guy we, we talk a lot about on this podcast. If you know me, I like Min Woo Lee. Got a great social media following too. He did the walk and talk as well during the travelers and, and did a great job with that. So Minji Lee, 27 years old, also from Australia, has won on twice on the major championships um, on the LPGA Tour. So four impressive young players on the LPGA Tour. There's more to say, but those are the four that I kind of picked out and uh, four names we're going to be continuing to see on the LPGA Tour circuit. The LPGA Tour is in such good hands with these young players and, you know, Minji Lee at 27 years old is hardly the elder uh, out of the bunch, but at 27 years old still has so much time in front of her. Um, I mean, it's awesome to see. There's obviously been a ton of 
uh, press and attention on Rosang, but obviously um, the LPGA tour young and deep. And, you know, at this point um, with the influx of money that I would assume is going to be coming to golf in general over the next few years, my God, this is is just setting things up very nicely for the LPGA to have um, stars that uh, young people uh, getting into golf can aspire to. And that is going to be a good thing for the game of golf and growing the game. Um, Speaking of growing the game, uh, over on the Champions Tour, I uh, can't forget about them. Uh, Padraig Harrington won the Dick Sporting Goods Open here in New York by one stroke over Joe Durant. That is his fifth Champions Tour win, first one this year. Old Padraig, he is one of those guys that it seems like, I guess it might be the generational thing, but I was thinking about this this afternoon. I guess it didn't really... I didn't really realize that he had been on the champions tour as long as he had five wins, five wins on the champions tour. He's just been there for that. That's one of those things where, you know, growing up, seeing him play through the, you know, late two thousands, early teens, um, getting, you know, getting wins on the PGA tour and just, yeah. Where'd the time go? That's one of those. That's really all I got on that because it's Patrick Harrington is very impressive to me because he's really increased his swing speed over the past year and, and really caught up to these young guys as well too. played well at the U S open, had a chance to have four rounds under 70. I think he was a couple over on Sunday to finish that round at LACC, but still very impressive for Patrick to notch another win on the champions tour. Absolutely. And over on the corn Ferry tour, uh, Jimmy Stanger birdies, the seven second hole when the compliance solutions championship, uh, and then over on the DP world tour, Thurston Lawrence, Watched that one this morning in the dungeon after our Sunday morning round. Uh, he won the BMW International Open. He didn't birdie the 72nd hole, but he did birdie the 71st hole. Um, he was also not in the final group, so he had to sit and watch and wait, which is might that be the worst feeling in the world? For Would you rather, let's throw this out there. Here's the question. Would you rather be in the second to last or third to last group and get in the clubhouse with the lead and have to watch a group or two play in who could potentially get to you or past you? Or would you rather be in that last group with basically having all of the logistics carved out by the time you get to the green on the eight on 18 and know what you have to do, which scenario would you rather have? That's such a helpless feeling, right? When you, when you get in the number and you get in the clubhouse and you post a number, right? And I think most people are going to say, I want, the ball in my hands, right? As we say in basketball a lot, you want to be able to kind of choose your own fate, right? So I would agree. I would say that I want to be on that 18, on that 18 fairway in the final group. Plus you can see what's going on in front of you too. So uh, you can kind of get where you go need to be and kind of figure out where you need to go. So definitely would be the advantage to be in that final group. But there is a little bit of solace when you can just play stress-free golf and just try to post a number and get into that clubhouse. But then what a helpless feeling watching everybody finish. I think I would prefer to be in that early group, but I don't think I could just sit there and watch a monitor as those last two groups come in. I think I would have to like go to the range. And that's like why the guys prepare. go to the range. They don't normally watch, you know, they'll go to the range and expect to be in a playoff. Right. And then just have someone tell them. So there is a way that you can kind of get out of that. These guys are so laser focused that they can just turn it on in an instant and go hit balls at the range yeah. and have their caddy just tell them or whoever it is. Yeah. 
Hey, all right. That is going to do it for this edition of Out of Bounds. Follow us on TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube for the latest golf news, new episodes, and plenty of other content. We will be back on Wednesday. And remember, whether it's down the middle or out of bounds, keep on swinging. You've been listening to Out of Bounds. If it's coverage, debate, or discussion of pro and local golf, we'll be talking about it. Be sure to visit the website. Find us on TikTok, Instagram, and Twitter. See you next time on Out of Bounds.